This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. First, let me start by introducing myself. My name is Alexandria Elvira, and I am the English Language Learner Specialist and the proud co-advisor to the Alliance of Latin American Students. On behalf of the Multicultural Student Affairs Department and the Alliance of Latin American Students, we would like to welcome you to our Latino Leadership Series. Our speaker today in the Latino Leadership Series is building on three generations of community and labor activism, serving as a mentor and educator. He has helped hundreds of youth and adults achieve their maximum potential by developing innovative programs through technology and building the educational gaps. As a proponent of civic engagement, he has volunteered in numerous elections, supporting campaigns that put the interests and needs of working families first. Demonstrating leadership in various community organizing efforts, he has encouraged youth and families to voice their concerns regarding issues of violence, labor, immigration, and education. This, this past February, he served as a candidate for state representative in the 23rd District of Illinois. And it is with great honor and pleasure to introduce you to Rudy Lozano, Jr. How y'all doing? Yeah? Good. Is it good morning or good afternoon? Good afternoon? It's morning, right? Sorry. I'm still waking up myself. Uh, before I get started, uh, I just want to thank... Uh, the Alliance of Latin American Students here today for organizing uh, this event. I want to thank all of you for coming out today. Uh, and I'm honored to be the first speaker of this Latino Leadership Series. So uh, I want to say thank you first of all. And before I go any further, I want to show you a short uh, video that my family and members of the Latino community uh, in Little Village and in Pilsen put together uh, about the history of my father and the work that he did uh, back in the early 80s and the 70s. So it's about a 15-minute uh, short video. I want to share that with you because I think it gives some context and some history to the political leadership uh, and the activism of Latinos during a time when there were very few Latinos uh, fighting for voice, fighting for representation, and fighting for our rights. So uh, I want to go ahead and start with that, and then I'll come back and share a couple of uh, thoughts that I have with you today. Thank you. Luis Lozano, bien, 
un mártir santo moderno en Chicago. Que viva Luis Lozano. Well, we left Hammond, Indiana in 1957. We left an all-African-American community where we were pretty much treated with respect, and we moved into uh, a community where it was all Anglo, and they were hostile. We got um, swastika painted on our door like the first week that we were there. There was a lot of racism at that time, and I think that kind of built our character as to try to fight for equality and, and, and justice and fairness. Um, Rudy became active when he was uh, a senior at Harrison High School. He got involved with other students who were upset because Harrison High School didn't have Uh, any Mexican uh, history. So they formed a walkout, which was very successful. Uh, when Rudy graduated from Harrison High School, he attended uh, UIC Circle Campus. And his um, dream with another friend of his was to become a doctor. Rudy would become a doctor and his friend would become a dentist. And they both would um, have this center that would provide free services to the community. Of course, my parents wanted him to become a doctor and that but that went failed right away because he got really involved in organizing the students in 1973 of december Rudy and i were married he was still attending uic and he also worked part-time for pilsen neighbors uh, community center where he uh, was asked to work with with Fobo and the parents and um, they were told that the school was too bad to, to, um, to get fixed. So then the students and the community and the organizers, really being one of them, said, okay, then we want a new high school. And because of that, uh, the Benito Juarez High School was built. So by the time he became a student at the University of Illinois, he was already seasoned. And needless to say, he was highly motivated and uh, skilled in uh, bringing people together. I remember getting a call one day uh, that Rudy had been arrested with other students. And um, I remember we went down to the police station and they bailed him out. And here I thought, you know, he was going to be scared and stuff, but no way. All the students came out chanting and they were singing and they were happy. And he said, come on, baby, I'll go back to UIC. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we were, we were there at UIC all night holding the elevators and You know, the police are trying to get us out. And the outcome of all this, um, the Latin American Recruitment Program was um, founded. The, the little collective that we had at the time, it was, it was called the Rasonida. Uh, and it was basically called the Rasonida because it was um, loosely affiliated with the Rasonida Party in, in Texas and in California. And um, we had rented an office, a group of us had rented an office. And uh, um, One of the one of the, the compañeros brought Rudy. Rudy, uh, with the demise of the Raza Unida Party, uh, along with other progressive activists uh, throughout the country, became a co-founder of Casa in Chicago. He was uh, Casa's first director. Rudy had, you know, uh, an impact and you know, getting people to realize, you know, the importance of not only the theory but also the practice. In 1976, 
uh, Rudy and I had our first child. Rudy was working with uh, a legal assistance foundation on 18th Street and he was uh, a legal advocate and what he did was he worked with uh, undocumented people. Thinking on the lessons that you know I learned from him, I, you know one of the clearer lessons was um, that workers just don't work in factories but they have to come home. They have to come home at night and they have to deal with the realities of their families. And, um, and then we had our second son that was born in May Day on, in 1977. Dan and Rudy was um, asked to be the Midwest uh, director for ILGW. It was in 82. Um, uh, the, the federal government um, did these massive raids simultaneously across the country. Um, and, and this is one of the times that I really saw Rudy in action. Uh, he was working for the union too. I mean, he put a lot of pressure on the union to um, to form a support group and to bail out uh, the workers. Rudy became involved with um, Delray Tortillas in 1982. Um, I remember uh, Rudy having to uh, go to the factory here in Little Village early morning and late at night to talk with the workers. Tortillas have nothing to do with garments. You know, we're women's garments, but he knew that you had to organize the Mexicans who were, who were, who were uh, also workers that were getting um, exploited. There were groups of us who were trying to figure out how do you bring together uh, racial and ethnic groups who have parallel histories to some degree. But I met a young Latino organizer that I became very impressed with. That young fellow that I met and got to know and was just sort of... Um, endeared to, in a way, was Rudy Lozano. And in Chicago at that time, the political machine controlled by Jane Byrne and the Daly family was so all-encompassing. Part of the struggle was, of course, out-and-out -out racism. When the decision was made to uh, run for the, I believe it was newly created, with the 1980 census, state house seat. When we talked about the possibility of running a candidate, Rudy said, well, Juan Solis is going to be our candidate. So it was this feeling of total powerlessness that got us to really think about exploring electoral politics. Yes, the IPO was, really, was founded in 1982. Uh, we had a big convention, and at that convention we also pushed candidates who ran for aldermen simultaneously as uh, Harold was running for mayor. We had a man by the name of uh, Juan Velasquez, who, is now recent, who has passed on now, ran for alderman in the 25th Ward, and Rudy Lozano ran for alderman in the 22nd Ward. Rudy uh, became our candidate because he was the best that we had, uh, because we knew uh, that he was up for a challenge we knew that he was a tireless uh, worker. We knew that he could get more out of people uh, to fight harder, to work harder, to give it their best. He also was one of the co-founders 
of the independent political organization of the near west side. He was still a labor man, but he knew that this was important and if the people wanted him to run, he was willing to do it. And in 83, we had um, candidates all over the city and um, Rudy lost the elections by 17 votes, but we know that uh, he didn't lose it, that it was taken from us. Uh, we were able to elect our first um, black mayor, Harold Washington. So what is the litmus test for anyone who really believes in Latino unity? There's only one litmus test. Where do you stand on Latino parliament, in Latino wards? Where do you stand on Latino representatives in Springfield, in Congress, in deputy mayorships? Where do you stand on those? There is no other test. Don't come to me with popsicles. Don't come to me with neighborhood contributions. Come to me with power. Power. That's what Rudy would say. So it was very exciting, you know, to flex our political muscle, knock on doors, hand out our own literature that we wrote with our demands on it, and people came out and voted for Rudy Lozano. He firmly had a belief in, you know, the, the, the strength of, of coalitions across nationality and, and across, you know, even your own, you know, ethnic community. Um, and I, that, for me, that's, you know, one of his legacies. You know, you look back on those days and you say, oh my gosh, you know, this was, this was quite a thing. It's a constant struggle to improve our conditions. It's a constant struggle to keep our families together. It's a constant struggle. So I think if anything Rudy taught anybody was that, that it's not easy, but it's not hard. But we have to continue. We have to keep moving forward. I think the community understood that his assassination was not just some random act, that it was an attempt to snuff out uh, independence, an attempt to snuff out the move for uh, uh, self-determination, an attempt to snuff out the move for equality as well as unity within all of the communities. When he was working with Delray, the workers, um, he had been threatened, he had been chased and shot at that he knew that um, it was dangerous, but if he didn't tell me, but him even knowing that, it didn't stop him. And that's the kind of person that really was. If there is righteousness in the heart, there's beauty in the character, and you got the feeling that there was a certain amount of righteousness in Rudy's heart, Rudy was a um, very good father, and he loved his boys very much. And um, his boys loved him very much, too. And I think that was the hardest thing when he was killed, that they took him away from his children, his sons that he loved so much. And his sons didn't have their father with them. I'm carrying on the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe fighting for peace will help save and protect families and our ability to love one another all over the world. I continue the work of my father, Rudy Lozano, by creating Jamming for Justice, which provides a socially conscious musical scene for both youth and actors. I carry on the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe in fighting for comprehensive immigration reform, keeping families united, and stopping the raids and deportations of all undocumented families. Si se puede. Yarina.
sí se puede, sí se puede, sí se puede. I carry on the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe our children deserve better education, better health care, better jobs, and a better future. They killed him, but they didn't take away his legacy, what he was all about. Um, it didn't stop people from continuing his work. It was, um, they, can take, they can take a person, but they can't take what he fought for. I'm carrying on the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe only through unity is real democracy possible. Because I believe youth have a right to free, quality education, peace, and access to good jobs at fair wages with the right to form unions. Because I believe we can build better, safer communities with better educational opportunities. Because my parents raised me to look after my brother, to look after my sister, to care about my family, and to care about my community. Because I believe no matter where a child lives, they should be able to go to school where they're respected and able to learn and grow. And no matter where a family lives, they should be able to receive decent work at decent wages. Because I believe it is the agency and compassionate action of ordinary neighbors that will make our communities healthy and vibrant places. Because I believe that people are not dispensable and we are all worthy of love and respect. And our children have a right to grow up in a world free of labels and oppression. Because I believe that si se puede is more than a chance. It is a call for action and a cry for change. A world that is more inclusive, more expansive, more open, a world that affords the largest number of people their golden opportunity, as Thomas Wolfe would say, to become whatever their manhood, womanhood, talents and ambitions, hard work combined to make them that is the promise of America. That's what Ruben Mazzano worked for. That's what he fought for. And yes, that's what he died for. I carry on the work of Ruben Mazzano because I believe in progressive coalition building at the neighborhood, citywide, and national levels to empower communities to work towards peace and justice. I'm continuing the work of Ruben Mazzano because I believe in developing leaders and building power. I carry on the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe communities should have healthy food, clean air, and green spaces. I carry on Rudy Lozano's work because I've chosen to dedicate my life to building our communities here in Chicago, especially with our youth. I carry on Rudy Lozano's work by making a skate park in our community to bring Latinos and Blacks together and make peace. I'm continuing the work of Rudy Lozano by planting seeds of compassion in my everyday work as an urban real estate developer and by cultivating a sense of activism in everything that we do together as a family. I am continuing the work of Rudy Lozano by educating our youth because knowing our history is an important part of our struggle. I am continuing the work of Rudy Lozano because I believe that the future lies in the hands of the children. That the best world we can leave them would be one where we have been active, we've shown them how to be active, and teach them there's nothing wrong with it. Hi, uh, I'm here to continue the legacy of Rudy Lozano. 
Rudy Lutano was a member of the integrity. I was working with the community myself. I encouraged everybody to get involved, especially the young ones, and, and register with us to be IPO members. I am continuing to support the legacy and work of Rudy Lozano as an attorney by working for justice and access to courts for poor and working people. I'm continuing to work at Rudy Lozano because I believe that all students should have the opportunity to be bilingual, bicultural, and biliterate. I'm continuing to work with Rudy Lozano because I believe in justice for workers. So I hope that uh, documentary helped put some context to the struggles that working families, that Latinos, African Americans, uh, white working class communities face during that time period. And obviously many of the issues that were talked about in the documentary are still issues that we confront today. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I want to commend ALAS for all the efforts all the work they've done to put together this event once again. But I'm also familiar, I had a chance to investigate a little bit about the work that you've done, and this is what I know. Uh, I know that Latinos are now 12% of the population here on campus, which I think is a huge number. That is not, uh, that is not a normal average population of Latinos, people of color on college campuses today, whether they're two year or four years. So I think uh, that's, that's, a that's something to commend uh, on, on your participation, your attendance here at the school. I know that Alice has been very active on campus, uh, volunteering at a local daycare, organizing a Day of the Dead event, attending the U.S. Hispanic Leadership Institute conference recently, uh, working with organ community-based organizations like Instituto del Progreso Latino in Pilsen. Uh, and I know that you're eager uh, to attend even more events and do more work here on campus. Uh, I think organizing a Latino leadership series is a great step to finding out about our history, finding out about our culture, seeing all the different forms of expressions and expressions of voice and political power. Uh, I, I think you deserve a huge round of applause for the work that you've done th thus far. I know having a student organization on campus must feel very good. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to grow, to build friendships, to, to build alliances with other groups here on campus, and it's an opportunity to express uh, the needs uh, and also share our culture on this campus. So once again, I commend you on that. But I've been asked here today to open up a dialogue on the topic of educational advancement and activism within the Latino community. Uh, so I, wanna, I want you to bear with me. I'm going to be throwing some information at you. Uh, I spent a good uh, portion of my evening last night trying to pull together some, some information. I just didn't want to share with you uh, my own personal experiences without having some factual statistics to back that up. Uh, with that said, uh, for the past 15 years, I've been working as an educator 
throughout the different communities in Chicago, mostly Latino communities, uh, as a high school teacher in alternative schools. I've been a mentor, a counselor. I've ran after school programs for high school age students as well as adults and parents in the community, ensuring that we have programs so that our parents can learn uh, how to speak English, so that we can become citizens, we can learn how to use computers, uh, which some of our parents are challenged with, uh, and also making sure that we have opportunities to uh, get our GED and be a part of the workforce. So that, that's the work that I've been doing for the past 15 years. I've also been, as you've seen from the documentary, uh, had the opportunity to come from a very active family that's been involved since I was a child. So I think it's fitting that we have this discussion today on March 10th when we know across the country young people in particular and undocumented families and workers are out marching for their rights uh, as undocumented people living in this country but also as workers paying taxes and fighting for representation in this country. So I've grown up in that setting my entire life. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience. It's also been a challenge. Uh, to not have my father, to lose my father to this struggle, but I'm very proud of who I am and where I've come from. Uh, with that said, once again, I'm no expert on education, even though it's something I've studied my entire life and been a part of, uh, but I can only share with you my experience and my studies and what I've uh, found uh, to be the truth thus far. So beginning the conversation, I want to say the problems that we as Latinos and minority students face in school are much bigger than anything we can do to just fix our educational system. We have to understand that the issues and the problems we face are much larger than where we go to school. Uh, not to say that they're not connected, but they're much larger. And if you look at any of our schools, uh, either within the urban or suburban areas, Many of the problems we face are brought into the school. They come from our communities. They come from where we live. They come from outside of the school setting itself. Uh, and so we have to, if we're going to attempt to deal with our educational system, we have to begin to do it comprehensively. We have to start creating programs and services that are going to wrap around the entire family structure, including the community. So when we're dealing with a student or a child at school, we're also dealing with their parents, their, their siblings, sometimes their grandparents, and we have to ensure that we're taking care of the entire family when we're dealing with education. And I hope that uh, we begin to do that under the Obama administration, under this governor, etc., in order to, so, I said that already, until we do this systematically, we will continue as poor and minority students to fall through the cracks. There's no way we can completely uh, reform our education system without reforming the way we deal with young people and their families. Our education starts at birth. All studies and reports show that disadvantaged students starting already at the age of three are behind coming into preschool. That means three-year-olds, mostly from poor and minority families, are already behind. So if we're talking about higher education, you have to start 
from day one, from when our children are born. And not only do we not have the services of early childhood education, but there is not enough access to these early childhood education programs. Let me share with you one statistic. In Cook County alone, there are only 2.4, this is statistics, right? 2.4 childcare center, centers operating per 1,000 Latino children under the age of five. So that's two daycare centers per 1,000 Latino students under the age of five. And I'm only talking about Latino students, right? So you can imagine all of the other children under five years old and there are only two daycare centers per 1,000 in the Cook County area alone. That's appalling. And so I want to continue. There are three main areas that I want to address today. Uh, and forgive me if you're not an education major. If you are, I'm sure you'll love this information. And if not, I think it's important for you to know what kind of system we're dealing with. I'm throwing the facts at you now. According to various sources, if you're interested, you come see, see me later and I'll give you all my sources. Uh, research shows that children who participate in high-quality preschool are more prepared for kindergarten, more likely to finish high school, and less likely to end up in prison compared to those who don't. The problem is, like I said, we don't have access to these early childhood education programs. It's a huge need in our, in our society. 60% of Latinos, Latino dropouts drop out by their sophomore year, which I was talking to uh, Alexandria already about freshman year. Freshman year of high school is so critical to all students, not just Latino students, but all students. If we are able to go on to sophomore year with all our credits as freshmen, we are so much more likely to graduate high school and go on to college. In fact, freshmen that make it to sophomore year are 3.5 times more likely to graduate. On the same note, 53% of Latino graduate high school graduates, excuse me, 53% of Latinos graduate high school compared to the nation's average of 68%. We are way behind uh, in our graduation rates. Only 11% of high school graduates that go on, go on to a four-year university. So that means out of the 53% that graduate, only 11% actually go on to a four-year university. And I'll talk a little bit about that and the reasons for that. That's not uh, an accurate number. We can't just look at it as going on to four-year because obviously many of us are going on to two years and then four years. Three biggest challenges to Latino students are the language. Many of our students are, are confronting barriers because of language. Because many of our language, native language is Spanish, it inhibits uh, our parents from getting involved in our schools, especially first generation, especially immigrant families coming to this country. The school system uh, does not take into consideration language in many regards, and there are many more barriers to language. Acculturation and racism. The fact that discrimination and racism still exists throughout our institutions, throughout our communities and our society is a huge barrier 
to uh, Latinos going on to higher education, to completing high school, etc. And then the biggest issue, uh, limited educational and economic capital. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We lack the access and resources to these opportunities compared to the average norm in this country. Given that among high school graduates, Hispanics are second only to Asians in attendance at colleges and universities, that's what I was talking about, we are the second highest group attending college in the country. So not all this news is bad. We are obviously attending colleges and universities four years, two years. We are second only to Asians. There can be, there can be no doubt that Latino families are willing to invest in their children's education. And we know that education is the key to independence and freedom for not only Latinos, under, uh, underserved communities in general, working class communities in general. Yet the numbers of students who reach graduation are reduced by many factors. Part-time enrollment, uh, a concentration in two-year institutions, and we don't normally graduate on time. Right? We don't, we don't have op sometimes the opportunities to graduate within four or five years. There are other barriers hindering us. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an example of that myself. It took me a while to graduate. I didn't graduate in four years. There are other issues I had to face at home, working to support my family, working to take care of my grandparents. We have uh, sick elderly people at home that sometimes hinders us. And sometimes we lose track going on to work and it takes a while to get back to the university. So there, these are all issues that we face uh, and working families face in particular. However, as generations of Latinos progress, second, third, fourth generation, our graduation rates are increasing. So it shows that, that when we have support systems in place, we are more ready to graduate. And that's some of the issues that we face as immigrant families, as even some of us that have been here second, third generation like myself, who don't have parents that have gone through the college system. So we're not prepared enough to deal with all the things that we deal with when we come to a campus. The fact that we are uh, a minority when many of us maybe have gone to schools where we are the majority. And now we enter into a much more diverse community. Uh, you know, maneuvering through the financial aid system for many of us for the first time can be intimidating, can be daunting. How do you renew your financial aid? How do I go back? Well, my parents don't do their taxes on time, so how am I supposed to apply for financial I'm sure you're all well aware of these issues as students yourselves. So there are support systems in place, not just through the universities and our colleges and two years, but at home that support our ability to then become successful graduates at college. So these are some of the issues that we face, right? We face lack of resources, lack of access, lack of support, and they come from all over, not just from our institutions, they come from our home, they come from our communities, they come from the workplace. What do we need to do to improve our educational outcomes? Well. I'm going to talk a little bit about activism. As you've seen from the documentary, there are so many issues to face when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to a lack of opportunity. 
It just depends on how you want to approach that. But as students, I want to uh, recommend one organization. I'm sure there are several. This is a national organization that's been fighting for the rights of students for over 60 years. And it's called, and maybe there's a chapter here on campus, I'm not sure. It's called the United States Student Association. Is anybody familiar with USSA? It's the United States Student Association. It's an organization made up of students, driven by students at the national level that fights to eliminate the barriers to higher education. They are doing this all over the country. Some of the issues that they deal with is organizing and advocacy. Something that this documentary talked about predominantly was organizing. And how do we fight for our needs? Well, we have to organize. You're already doing it as alas here on this campus. You're already organizing. You're already uh, planting the seeds for future uh, Latino students here on this campus for yourselves, for your communities. I commend you on that. That is so important to do. This organization does that on a national level. They lobby our Congress. They lobby our senators. There are two major legislations, pieces of legislation that are up right now that you should be aware of, that as an organization you should support and figure out how to promote. The DREAM Act. How many people are familiar with the DREAM Act? Raise your hand, please. So the DREAM Act, I'm going to talk about it briefly, is a national legislation that students of immigrant background have been fighting for for nearly 10 years. And it will, if it passes, allow undocumented students to have the opportunity to go to college and receive financial aid. Right now, undocumented students have the ability in Illinois to attend as in-state residents, but they, there are, there's no financial aid for these students. So can you imagine trying to pay your tuition all out of pocket every single semester without any support from financial aid? Because financial aid is a national program. So that is one of the uh, one of the benefits of passing the DREAM Act, it will also allow students, undocumented students, to be, become legalized, to get into the system and as productive members of society, going on to college, receiving a degree, and becoming a part of the workforce, they will have the ability to become citizens in this country. This is a very important uh, piece of legislation that I highly, highly recommend that you get behind. The other one is called the student aid reform. And that will basically increase student aid. Under the past administration, under the Bush administration, we lost a lot of funding for student aid. The Pell Grants that uh, were given to students were decreased. The interest rates on Perkins loans were increased. And now, under the Obama administration, we have an opportunity to push to get that funding back, to increase the amount of money for student aid so that we can get grants we don't have to pay back, but also so that when we do take out loans, because many of us do have to take out loans, uh, many of us that have gone on still owe, I won't talk about my debt, but it's in the tens of thousands of dollars, and interest rates are important because we end up paying these loans for the next 10 to 15 years of our life 
after college, after getting your degree. So interest rates are critical. So decreasing the interest rates, increasing opportunities and funding for students is important. I also recommend that you get behind this. One of the things that the uh, movie talked about a lot towards the end of the movie was about the work that not only my father did and many others did in organizing around issues, but then taking those issues to the ballot box. Many of us witnessed the historic moment of the election of President Obama here in this country. I, I hope that many of us here in this room were a part of that. Uh, I certainly am a proud person to say that I was a part of that change. Uh, and I took it so far as I decided myself to run for office this past February and came very, very close to winning. Uh, but we'll get them next time for sure. Uh, and hopefully I get the support of you all as well as young activists yourself. But it's important to get involved in the electoral process. If we want to make changes, not only in our communities, but where the money and the resources come from, from our tax dollars, we have to do it in the, through the electoral process as well. It's not the only avenue, but it's an important one. It's where we impact the laws of the land. It's where we receive our monies for our schools, for hospitals, for daycare centers, etc. So I encourage you to get involved. If you're not a citizen, if your parents are not citizens, encourage them to become citizens and then vote. And not only vote, be informed voters as well. <clears throat> get involved and give back to your community. Many of us come from neighborhoods where uh, I know growing up the common understanding was I'm going to get a job, I'm going to go to school, and I'm getting out of this neighborhood. Uh, and I grew up in Little Village. I still live there to this day. Uh, and that's 26th Street, for those of you uh, that are familiar with uh, 26th Street. And I think it's important that we give back to our communities. It's not enough for you to succeed, but you have to remember where you came from. You have to remember that there are others who are in the same situation and who are struggling. And I think it's, it's critical, not only for yourselves, but for our community, for us to give back. And give back in whatever way uh, you feel is appropriate for you. Uh, and, and also, you can give back by getting involved in issues that are important to our communities. Issues that affect working families, issues of workers' rights, issues of uh, immigrant rights, uh, etc. One thing that uh, I have to say is complete school yourself. Get your degree, right? Move on from the two-year, go get your bachelor's, go get your master's, and yes, go get your PhD. We need, we need people of color coming back to our universities and teaching us and being examples of what it is to succeed at an academic level. We need role models for our young people of color that look like us, that come from the same background as us, and I encourage you to do that. That is a successful mission in life, and if that's what you want to do, I commend you on it. Please do so. But I was always told, you cannot help others until you help yourself. So uh, as a long-time activist, uh, it's important that we see this struggle as long-term, right? It doesn't end when you leave college. It doesn't end when you leave your campus. 
being involved and being an activist is a long-term, lifelong commitment. So it's not just about, hey, why well, did that in my student life? Now I'm going on to corporate America. I'm make myself six-figure salary. My student days are over. That's not the case, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we can't think that way. We can't assume that that's you putting in your two to three years during your college life is going to benefit the society as a whole. We really need to finish school and continue to be involved. Obviously, be informed about the issues of the day. Stay socially conscious about our world. Uh, don't just pick one issue that you care about and get involved with that. Be informed about all the things that are impacting our, our uh, world today, the economy, the health crisis that we're, that we're dealing with, uh, the housing crisis that we're dealing with, all the issues that we're facing. And I'm going to end on this. I'm done uh, preaching for now. But there are two quotes uh, that I want to leave you with. Uh, one, this one is by Dr. King, and I think it's very fitting. Uh, an injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. And so we have to carry that throughout our lives. We can't ignore the problems that we face in our own lives and around our, our communities and, and around our own lives. Uh, and then the last one is a quote by my father, which I think is very fitting as well. Uh, he said, There are no great men, men or women in this world, only great challenges that ordinary people must take on. Well, we are all ordinary people and we have many great challenges we have to face today in today's society and we're looking to our generation many people are looking to our generation uh, and those that are younger to help solve the problems that we're facing today many of us in this room have the ideas have the solutions we have future doctors lawyers electeds maybe even the next president of the United States is in this room and it's up to us to carry out our mission in life and that's to give back to get involved and to make sure that we take care of humanity so we have lots of work to do uh, Alas is on the right path continue to do so keep up the good work congratulations on all that you've accomplished and thank you once again for having me today thank you very much Um, at this time, we're going to have questions and answers, so does anyone have any questions? No questions? One question? <laughs> Don't be shy. I'll keep it brief. Don't be quiet now. You guys are really, really loud. Yes? What did you run for? Uh, I ran for state representative. Yeah. It was very close. Uh, I came, I, I got 46% of the vote which translated into about three or four hundred votes difference and the uh, incumbent that I was up against is a very 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 powerful family in the city of Chicago and we came very close uh, but I believe that the the end message was the writings on the wall it's time for change uh, and the next time around which is in just two years uh, will definitely win because we had little to no support from any real elected officials from any labor groups uh, and I think we showed our viability and, and just to, to, to speak on a little bit more, it was made up of young people uh, that is our generations, 20s, early 30s, high school students were involved, and we really got people involved for the first time uh, in the electoral process. So it was very exciting. Thank you for asking. No questions? 
Uh, my my father. W- sure. No, no, no. Please ask any questions. Uh, no, no. It's not. It's not. It's not a sore spot. Uh, my father was uh, killed. He was killed in our home, uh, where my mother still lives today. He was assassinated. He was shot. Uh, somebody came to the door. Uh, this year will be 28 years uh, in June. Uh, knocked on the door. My father was the kind of person that was very active in the community. Uh, opened his door to anybody that needed uh, help. And opened his door one day and found himself uh, talking to somebody who, who needed to use a telephone, needed to use the bathroom, got his way into, into my home and shot my father uh, point blank. We still don't know to this day uh, the, the case was never really truly resolved. Somebody went to jail, uh, a young a gang member went to jail, uh, but after two trials, and we never as a family or the, the, the justice system ever found out who hired this person uh, and what the motives, the true motives were behind the assassination. So that is still uh, yet to be resolved, and our family has not forgotten that and we won't let it go uh, until we, we seek justice for my father. But we did, we did resolve that continuing to fight for equity, for equality, for justice and continuing the work of my father was much more important than just trying to find out who pulled the trigger and who was behind it. That's something that our family uh, is very proud of, that we carried on the fight uh, for justice and for equality. So that's how we uh, move forward. Thank you. Well, thank you all for coming. We truly, really do appreciate it on behalf of the Multicultural Student Affairs Department and the Alliance of Latin American Students. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.